Hi, and welcome to Navigating Life as We Know It, a podcast series about celebrating ability, embracing diversity, and living inclusively. And in the studio with me today is my co-host, the lovely Carrie Johnson. Hi. So today we're talking to Shannon Alhart, and Shannon is embarking on this interesting adventure called the Forgiveness Tour. The Forgiveness Tour. Steve, how long have you known Shannon? Somewhere between 12 and 14 years. As a point of interest, when navigating life as we know it was just an idea, Shannon was one of the people who encouraged me to go ahead and create this podcast. And can you just give us a little bit of information on what exactly is a Forgiveness Tour? Sure. On the side of her bus, which she has named Thea, she has the words, Traveling Across America to Inspire Forgiveness and Promote Emotional Healing. So really the whole trip, the whole forgiveness tour is about emotional healing in individuals. Shannon has some great information to share with people about the type of emotional pains that we carry around with us that we hardly ever recognize, but still it's part of our life. Just to explain some abnormalities in the recording, this interview actually takes place in a converted school bus. And so you'll hear some ambient sounds. It was a hot day in August. The windows were down. There's some traffic sound, etc. All the things we have no control of outside of the studio. So let's get on with the interview and hear what she has to say. Let's do that. Hi, this is Steve Johnson, and welcome to Navigating Life as We Know It. Today, I'm visiting with Shannon Elhart, a uh, friend of mine from a long time back, who is, first of all, she's a mom of two young adults, has been a teacher of the severely emotionally impaired middle school students. She's got a master's degree in counseling education and psychology, which she obtained to work with children. And she's also a certified life coach, where she has obtained skills and competence to work with adults. She's also the owner of Greenheart, which is her company, the creator of Insight Healing and the Forgiveness Tour, which we're going to be speaking about. And she has a diverse life experience. Welcome, Shannon. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here, Steve. It's a pleasure for me to have you here. First of all, you talk about emotional pain, and I think a lot of us can understand stomach pain or a headache or a lot of other different types of pain. Or sometimes we say somebody else is a pain. But what? how would you define emotional pain? Emotional pain happens to us in so many ways. I don't even know if I would could adequately define it in a succinct sentence. But the most important thing about emotional pain is that we overlook it. So, for example, if I broke my leg, you would immediately recognize that just by looking at me. You would have compassion for me. You would offer to help me if I needed it. Can I get you to the hospital, a doctor? If I you know, had crutches, can I help you? But emotional pain is hidden. You can look at me and I can have my happy face on and you can have no idea that inside I am so hurting. And that can come from so many different sources in our life. But the most damaging thing and the most dangerous thing I think in our society is that we don't recognize it. We have so many ways of avoiding the, the emotional pain whether it's workaholism or shopping too much, just stuffing inside, getting drunk, covering it up in any way. And we don't have that immediate compassion for people as well. People hide like, well, I'm in therapy. And they feel like they've got to whisper that last word, like there's some kind of shame or hesitation about it. But I believe strongly that emotional pain and the healing of emotional pain is more important than the healing of physical pain in many regards. Because if we have that emotional pain, we actually can contribute to health issues, physical health issues. Such as? Heart issues, um, sleep issues, more anxiety and stress, depression, which can affect everything about our health. Um, I could go on and on. I'm not a doctor, but isn't, it can affect Isn't there a danger body. also that if you're so used to keeping it inside, you're not even aware of it? Absolutely. I know that I've done that. And in fact, I know that, you know, I, I'm just out of my most recent depression, which was my deepest and darkest depression. And a lot of that was I had some emotional pain going on 
that I didn't know what to do with. And it just kept getting deeper and deeper. And you were at the point of actually being able to recognize them when it's happening. Yeah. And many other people are not at that position where they can do that. But the emotional pain that it's chronic become just part of life and that's just the way things are. Exactly. And I think we have a tendency to write it off then and just say, well, life just does that to you. There's no urgency to deal with it. Right. And I don't think anyone's done anything wrong. I believe <clears throat> that this is a societal issue that we've been mm -hmm. taught. We're always searching for some way to feel good, whether we're scrolling through our phone to check social media or look for a text or you know, we're working out or we're eating a great meal. We, we want to feel good. As we're looking for days. dopamine fix, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So when the pain comes to our awareness, whether it happened 20 years ago or yesterday, we want to avoid that because it's painful. But that's actually as counterintuitive as it is. It's the exact opposite of what we should do. And not only does it affect us, it affects our relationships with our children, with a spouse, with friends co-workers, etc. They all see things in us that we don't, maybe some ugly things in us that we don't. Mm -hmm. And because they're polite, they won't say anything. Right. They just say, that's the way you are, That's right. so that's okay. Exactly. Um, so there really is no sign that says, take care of this. Right, exactly. And it affects so much more than that. Of course, it affects our relationships, and I think that's one way where a lot of people overlook that. You know, I'm struggling with something that I went through recently. Let's say I'm just making up a situation. Let's say I lost my job and I'm starting to get really stressed out about my financial situation. And if I'm a parent, that's going to be felt by my kids, most likely. Um, that's going to be felt by my family and my friends because I'm feeling a lot of anxiety about my financial situation. Maybe on top of that, I feel embarrassed so I don't want to talk to anybody about it because that's such a personal issue. So then I hold it in even more. Um, I'm probably not going to be sleeping as well. I might not. I might have a shorter fuse and have um, more outbursts of anger or get sad and crying. And my kids are feeling that. You know, I could start having stomach aches. I mean, there's. It just keeps going. It's this ripple effect because we don't know what to do with our emotional pain. And sometimes in that situation, it is tough. You can't just snap your fingers and have a new career. But when we get into deeper things, let's say you were physically abused as a child and you're now in your 50s and that pain has never been healed, it is still affecting you. I believe we carry our pain for the rest of our lives, whatever we experience. So let's stick with the child abuse example. If we don't heal that pain, we are going to continue carrying it in our life as suffering. But if we heal that pain, and there's many ways to do so, we will carry that pain with us as growth. But it stays with us regardless. So pain is the default, growth is the option. Growth or suffering, those are the two options. We're going to have pain in our life. It's yeah. unavoidable. We're humans. It's going to happen. But we can either carry it as suffering, where we continue to have pain from the pain, or we can carry it as growth, where we've learned, we've grown, we've become a better person. Those are the options. And it doesn't always make some sadness go away, because we have memories. Right. You know, we live with that, but we found a way to deal with it. Right. And, you know, since this is typically a podcast that talks about disability issues, families living with disability are not living on a different planet. Right. We're, we're all still people. And people that, that really don't have any physical disabilities uh, sometimes have internal ones because of things that have happened to them. Depression is a mental illness. Mm -hmm. yeah, most of us have that at some time in our life. Many people think that individuals with autism don't feel pain. They don't feel sadness because they, they don't talk about okay. thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. But they do want to be liked. They want to belong. They want to be understood. They want to be seen. Of course. Absolutely. I have, I'm friends with some people on the spectrum and absolutely they do. That makes it even more lonely. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. I've never heard of that, but that makes sense. I can see where that happens. People have a tendency to think that they don't care, mm -hmm. but they do. Oh, that's too bad. They just of have a hard time expressing do. or understanding yeah, it. Absolutely. The reason I wanted to talk about emotional pain first is because your forgiveness to her. 
That's a rather grand thing that you're embarking on. It is. <laughs> I don't know that I'd be that courageous, but you are. That's okay. Courageous, <laughs> crazy, little beach. <laughs> I think you have to have some of both. Yeah. 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 So tell us about the forgiveness tour. Well, it kind of slowly evolved where I wanted to find a way to provide more help with for people with emotional pain, which is nearly all of us. And so at first, I live in West Michigan, as you know, at first it was going to be a West Michigan thing. And then I decided I wanted to travel and I was going to kind of do the Midwest. And then I got really crazy and decided I wanted to travel the entire country. So I sold my home and bought an old school bus, which we're sitting in, actually. And I gutted it and made it into a motorhome, which is called a schoolie. And I did that so that I could travel the country within my home, which will save a lot of money, but also allow me to, you know, allowing myself to get to all my, get to get to all the places in the country and um, do the speaking that I'm doing about forgiveness. And the reason I did this was because I think we desperately need it. Forgiveness is almost always the culmination of healing emotional pain, which isn't always healing is sometimes the wrong word. It can be finding acceptance. It can be finding, um, a purpose. I know we can learn from absolutely everything we go through, no matter how horrendous, there's always a lesson we can learn. So that when that happened, it almost always ends in one of four different types of forgiveness. And that's what I want to teach and inspire as I travel the country. No, I'm asking this question not because I'm challenging you, but just because it needs to be asked. There's 350 million people in this country. Mm -hmm. What difference do you think that'll make? I'm hoping, <laughs> what I'm hoping for, and that's a great question, is the ripple effect. In fact, that's what I'm really asking of people when I'm doing the speaking. So when I speak, it's obviously a pre uh, presentation on forgiveness. And my goal is to get people to reflect on their own life journey. And I have a an evaluation that I've created that helps people do that. So they kind of get the bird's eye view of their life journey because we've gotten so accustomed to stuffing our pain in the back of our minds and not dealing with it. We don't really realize sometimes how much we've been through. I'll give you a good example. I was working with a wonderful client, um, a woman who'd been through a really tough divorce. Uh, her husband had had a, an affair and it just um, in this situation turned really ugly she and I were going through this evaluation or I had her go through this evaluation because it's something you can do on your own. And then afterwards, she and I were going through the evaluation and discussing it. And she, I'll never forget when she said, you know, something I forgot was that I was sexually assaulted as she was in her like 11, 12 year old range. She had forgotten. And you'd think, how could someone forget about that? Well, we're taught to do that. Stuff it inside, act like you're okay. You know, just forget about it. Repressive forgetting. Exactly. And, and you know, what do you say to a little girl who's been through that? Well, now we know better, but we still don't always provide those resources enough. But regardless, she brought this up and I thought, wow, ding, ding, ding. This is probably her primary issue. And it and it was because understandably, this pain that's deep inside her that she had repressed so much, obviously traumatized her and it affected her as an individual, but it also affected how she interacted with her husband in their marriage, um, with their intimacy, their communication, um, everything, her ability to move toward goals, everything. So once she had this epiphany of like, wow, I completely repressed something that was so significant in my childhood. And what was most admirable about this woman was she was like, yeah, I'm ready to work on it. What can we do? And so we worked on that until she could find some peace. And it that did end up in her forgiving. And she's literally told me, I feel like I was set free. Wow. Right. So we forget these things. But the other thing is we don't realize how much one thing impacts the other. So you know me, Steve, I'm super open about my mm -hmm. life. And I, and I only do that because I'm carrying my pain as growth, because I've done a, a lot of work on my own. But for a good example of how our painful experiences affect other painful experiences, I, I think of it as a tapestry, all these painful experiences are overlapping. So for example, when I was 18, I was raped. Well, I was already drinking a bit 
abusively because of some things that happened earlier with my family. And that was my coping mechanism. I unfortunately learned when I was 14, 15 years old. Well, after I was raped, then I started drinking even more abusively. I didn't see that connection until actually I was doing my work and I created this evaluation where I was like, those two are interwoven. And and that rape, of course, affected my connection with intimacy, how I connected with my husband, who's now my ex-husband. You know, it affected that. So you start seeing how there's this web of experiences in your life. And then if you start healing one, the others start softening. The others become easier to heal. So one of the first things I did was get sober. Mm -hmm. And that helped me to work through the pain that I was carrying over being sexually attacked and and experiencing rape that um, helped me work through the divorce and all the pain of that. So that's what I'm trying to bring to people's light is that give them the courage to look at their life journey fully so that they're then inspired to heal what they've been carrying so that they can turn it into growth. I, I want to help break the stigma of getting therapy. I don't think the word therapy should be whispered or have any hesitation. It should be something you're proud of. I think it's a little different today than it was maybe 20 or 30 years ago, because then it was like, wow, that's really, you must be weak or something Mm because strong people don't need that. Right. Until we have examples of strong people nationally known that you find out that they're in some type of a therapy or they come clean about their life. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Then it's like, well, I guess it's not so strange. Right. And in the same way, there's other things that have been stigmas too in terms of different health things. Men don't like to go to the doctor. Right. Because they can can master their own health. Yeah. Bullshit. And women (laughs) shouldn't be angry. You yeah, know, it shouldn't I mean, be. Yeah. But see, that's the problem. We have too many shouldn't be's in oh this gosh, world. Oh, my gosh, exactly, which are just <laughs> yeah. stopping us from being human. Well, when you were just talking about some of the things that people go through, they deal with it because people think they should. Mm-hmm. And they don't fess up to it because they think it's a weakness. Right. Those of us who are not living that situation uh, find it easy to judge other folks. And nobody wants that pain on top of the rest of it. Right. That is a big problem that feeling the judgment from others. So aside of breaking that stigma or helping to break that stigma, I also want to communicate that there are other modalities of healing emotional pain, not just traditional talk therapy. I value traditional talk therapy. It has helped me in my own healing journey, but there are other modalities. For example, when I did heal from the rape, I used energy work. So I worked with a woman who does different modalities of energy work, like Reiki, cranial sacral. I don't know what all she does, to be honest with you. Remarkable, remarkable changes in me. And I was able to truly heal that and forgive my perpetrator even after 20 years. So I want to communicate that to people as well. Like look at, look at and consider alternative therapies or other therapies. It doesn't have to be traditional talk therapy which is scary for a lot of people and sometimes you just got to find the right person too it might be the right Mm -hmm. therapy but you don't have the relationship so it can be hard exactly it can be hard um ironically i just had a friend begin therapy yesterday and i told her when she went in to meet with a therapist make sure you feel completely comfortable can be completely authentic with this person if you don't it's not the right therapist doesn't mean there's something wrong with a therapist or the wrong with you but you have to be completely 100% comfortable with whomever you're working with in whatever modality you choose, or the healing won't take place, at least it won't take place as smoothly as it could. Yeah. And it doesn't happen overnight. No, it doesn't. I know you've done a lot of work. I have. (laughs) And you've learned a lot, and now you want to share it. I sure do. You know, getting back to the question about what difference it'll make if there's 348 or 350 million people in this country, you may never see what difference it makes Mm -mm. because you can share this with somebody. Some of them won't won't do anything with it. You know that. Right. Some of them will. Mm -hmm. The few that will, will affect other people. They'll see a difference. They might ask some questions. There's that ripple that happens in the pond that you might never see the effect of it, but it's doing something. And that's also good for you. Exactly. Um, And I I think it's very admirable. I think you're very brave, and I don't think that I'd like to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I I feel like I'm brave as well, and I I just really feel passionate about it. And we've seen other changes 
come through our society, the perspective on people who have additional needs, which is the basis of your podcast. We're seeing shifts in perspectives about the LGBTQ community. I mean, Mm -hmm. all these things are really great, but it takes people talking and sharing. So I'm hoping that I'm one of those people who can start a change in how we perceive emotional pain and the healing of emotional pain. But we feel that it's more important than we've given it so far in the history of humankind and that we see that there's so many different ways to heal. I, I believe that there's three things people need psychologically. They need to feel that they're competent mm-hmm. at something, that they're good at something. I mean, remember when your kids came home from the school and they brought something home to put on the refrigerator and they were really, really happy? Right. It might look totally weird to you, but you had to smile and say, <laughs> that's great, put uh, on the refrigerator. Absolutely. And, you know, they had to feel competent at something. Uh, and that never stops all of our life. We are trying to gain competencies. Second, and the most important, I think, is they really have to feel connected. There needs to be relatedness. Absolutely. Okay? We are hardwired for relationships with other people. And then the third one is we have to have uh, agency. We have to have some choice over our life and the directions we take. That's very true for people with disabilities. It's very true for neurotypical people. Um, and it's I think that's where a lot of the pain interrupts those things. Absolutely. The emotional pain. Well, that's why I think your topic is just as relevant, if not more relevant, to the disability community. You know, my son was born a twin, premature, and to this day, 33 years later, I'm thinking, was there something that we did that caused her to deliver this these babies premature that I could be indirectly responsible for the death of one and the disability of the other? I don't know that there is. I think I've forgiven myself, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but there's always in the back of your mind that I do something or maybe we pursued a therapy that didn't work because I chose the wrong therapy, physical or occupational therapy or whatever. Maybe if I had done this other one, we would be far ahead now instead. Or the failures, the personal failures of patience and maybe attitude Because I know that when I have a bad day going for myself, my son Liam has a bad day. Mm -hmm. It's like he can pick up the radio station that I'm broadcasting, which is, damn, this is a bad day. And he responds to it. And that's what happens within our disability community. So there's forgiveness that needs to be expressed for ourselves and for others. We all think that we have total control. And when we (laughs) fail, it's because we did something wrong. Exactly. But it isn't. No. Oh, certainly not. We have that negativity bias in our brain. And we, I think most of us are all very hard on ourselves. So when you talk about the self-forgiveness that I also hope you found, probably my favorite thing to say about self-forgiveness is that in every moment, we are all doing our very best with what we understand in that moment. So people can really soak that in. In every moment, we are doing our very best with what we understand in that moment. So when you made choices about Liam, you and Carrie, you were making the best choices that you could in that time with your with mm-hmm. that current understanding. To look back and think, what if I did something wrong? You didn't. You were educating yourself. You were probably intuitively also feeling through what would be the best decision for Liam. And if we can think that way, like what if I didn't make the right decision? We need to be able to see the reverse of that. Thank God I didn't make a decision that would have caused more harm to my son, which you didn't do. But some people think they did by not making the better decision. Mm. And that's the judgment factor. It's it's really, I love your statement about that, that you're making the best you can with what you know at the time. Right. And I really think that's extremely true because otherwise mm-hmm. we punish ourselves for the rest of our lives about things that we can't go back and change. Absolutely. We did the best we could. Mm-hmm. It does. And sometimes our decisions lead to catastrophe. They do. Mm -hmm. But having that awareness, using our intuition, and just always doing our best with what we understand, that's all we can do. Beating ourselves up is not going to serve any kind of purpose. And believe me, I am like professional level of beating myself up. I just try. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Well, you know, there's levels of consciousness that we all live at. And the lowest levels of consciousness, shame is the lowest. 
Guilt is the second lowest. They're pretty much pointless. When we get there, it's like, what can we learn? How can we grow? Move on. Because you are not going to do anything by wallowing in shame and guilt. But you can do something constructive with it. Yeah, you can change. You can accept. You can move forward. But a lot of us are really challenge I would see with that statement about you're always doing your best is there's time in the moment when you know that you are not doing your best. <laughs> mm-hmm. And those are the most uncomfortable times when we are scream- squeamish. Right. So another one of my journeys, and this is a great example of that, is I've been sober about nine years. And I didn't get sober right away. But before I went to AA to begin my sobriety journey, I didn't know better. I really had this, and I didn't spell it out this verbally, but I really had a belief that my alcohol use helped It took away the pain. I didn't have to feel it. I didn't have to think about it. It made me feel more confident in social situations. Now, it's obvious to me now that it was just making everything worse um, in, in many ways. When it got more uncomfortable was when I went to AA and I got sober for about a year and a half and I learned a lot. I did the steps. I worked the program. I heard everyone else's stories. Then when I fell off the wagon for the first time, after about a year and a half of sobriety, that was far more uncomfortable because in the depth of my brain, of my personal awareness, I did know better. So it was much more emotionally difficult for me to fall off the wagon and drink again because I knew in my heart of hearts, I knew better. So you're right. But that's where we really start feeling some motivation for growth is if we can really be honest with ourselves and say, I know better than this. But in terms of your decisions with Liam, I know you and Gary well enough. You did the best that you could at that time. Sometimes you can believe something before you feel it. Absolutely. (laughs) That is a tough situation to be in. But, and I can um, say it till I'm blue in the face, but you and Carrie have to feel that. You're right. Yeah, and I, I think we do at this point. It, nothing's ever 100%, but it's in the high 90s. Yeah. So and I can say with my two kids, who yeah. are your average human being, I know there are things I could have done differently. I look back and think, even little things. I wish I had taught them more about cooking. You know, that they were both a little more comfortable in the kitchen. Not that I'm the greatest cook. And then big things that I didn't handle well. And I can spend the rest of my life beating myself up or I can find a way, if I can, to now do something better. If it requires having a conversation with my kids about apologizing, owning something, or just letting it go. But even with my neurotypical kids, I know that I made decisions that I wouldn't make now. Sure. That's part of so growing up. It but is. So, but it's part of being a parent. We're still growing up, Shannon. <laughs> right. But so even though Liam has more needs than you would maybe see in, in my kids or in your other children, to me, it doesn't warrant you and Carrie being more hard on yourselves, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. We are going to take a short break right now. And when we return, we'll be talking with Shannon about three other forms of forgiveness, forgiving others, accepting forgiveness, and divine forgiveness. Back in just a few minutes. Thanks for tuning in to Navigating Life as We Know It. This episode is brought to you by Shannon Elhart's Forgiveness Tour. Please follow Shannon's journey at shannonelhart.com. The link will be placed in our show notes. We have a small call to action for our listeners. If you find our podcast helpful, interesting, and educational, please take a moment to share it with two people you think it could help. Also, please join our Facebook community and let us know what you'd like to see on the show in the future. As usual, I like to keep our mid-breaks short and sweet, so I'll let you get back to the show now. Welcome back. Now let's continue our conversation with Shannon Elhart. So self-forgiveness is the first of four Mm -hmm. that are the four parts of the um, forgiveness tour. 
And the second one is forgiving other people. Right. That can be a challenge. Absolutely. And the reason why I believe self-forgiveness is more important is that when we work through self-forgiveness, which is not easy, we might think it is because we're not having to speak with anybody else, but you have to really own your stuff and you have to look at it. But when you reach that self-forgiveness, obviously you're practicing self-forgiveness, but also self-compassion. You're really looking at that statement I shared of, I'm always doing the best I can in every moment with what I understand in that moment. Well, if that's true for me and you, Steve, that's true for everybody. So when it comes to forgiving other people, you tend to be a little more open to having compassion for them, having forgiveness for them, and realizing that they too are doing the best they can in every moment with what they understand in that moment. Definitely there's resistance, but when you work through forgiveness of self, forgiveness of others comes a little more easily, at least in my experience. Well, I, I think if you don't respect yourself, it's hard to respect other people. Mm-hmm. And, and have compassion, and, too. Yeah, and part of that respect is compassion and, and self-forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think people are res- resistant to forgiveness, and I've been, too, to forgiving people who've hurt me. And I think it's important to remember a few things, that it truly is for you, not the other person. You are not condoning or saying whatever they did to you is okay. You're just forgiving them. You're freeing yourself. Also to know that forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's a decision and it's action. And eventually when you reach forgiveness, you're going to feel differently, but you shouldn't be trying to feel forgiveness. Another thing that people love, um, which is a misconception, is that forgiveness is not the same as respect, liking, or trusting someone. So said in another way, you can forgive someone, but still not respect that person, still not like them. And still not trust them. I think many Different. people think that's part of the deal. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, I when, forgive when you. Now we got to hang out every week. I'm like, we, no, 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 no. A couple of weeks ago, we said in, in your trial presentation for this to yes. take it on the road, and when you said that about you don't have to like somebody or mm-hmm. respect them, that opened up all kinds of possibilities for forgiveness. <laughs> because everyone, it's I've, like, yes, there's nothing <laughs> in the world going to make me like this person. So right. everything they say and do that just adds to the pile of things that I don't like about them and i can't forgive them for maybe something they've done to me in the past but you do this for yourself Mm -hmm. because it it takes toxins out of your out of your body absolutely yeah and there's there's people that you will never like but that doesn't mean that they're not in pain also absolutely and no matter how much you might disrespect somebody else it's uh, cruel to inflict pain upon them even if they so richly deserve it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> and and I have people who I feel could deserve my vengeance. But yeah. that's the rule, too. Even if you don't respect someone, you should still treat people with respect. And I do try to live by that. I'm not perfect. But everyone loves that one. I don't have to like them. And in fact, at the end of forgiveness, you either need to choose to rebuild the relationship or release the relationship, if that's even a possibility. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, it's the smartest thing is to release it. And... Another thing that people get a kick out of when I say is you can even forgive someone who's dead. You really can. Because your forgiveness, in fact, here's another tip people might like. You don't have to talk about it with anybody. You don't even need to go to the person whom you're forgiving and say, I forgive you. In fact, that might cause more problems. This is a private, personal journey. No one has to know. Isn't that part of the 12-step program to go to people that maybe you've injured or hurt and, and say to them that you... If it's appropriate, if it's appropriate, yeah, and that's making amends. Because it could be very dangerous in some situations to do that. Oh, absolutely. Or you could be apologizing for something and in doing so, opening up a wound that even wasn't aware. Uh, One person, I remember when I was in AA and we were talking about this step, which is a very important step. Someone said, so a good example, they were talking to the group. If you were drunk and you slept with someone's spouse, you don't go to that spouse or the person and say, hey, by the way, 10 years ago. And yeah, because that person's like, wait, what? You slept with my husband or what? Now, you, now you've caused right. another earthquake someplace <laughs> exactly. else. Exactly. So you make amends when and how it is appropriate. Yeah. And I love that step. And I love AA and I'm a big believer in it. But what I found it's lacking is that making amends and saying, I'm sorry, I hurt you is important. But we also need to forgive ourselves when we're working through an addiction and forgive people who've hurt us. Because sometimes those people, we use that as an excuse to get drunk or high or whatever you're doing. So there's those three types of forgiveness. 
and actually another one that you really need to work through is not just giving, but receiving and Which forgiving is number yourself. Three, right. Number three is receiving forgiveness. But, you know, getting back to that, when it comes to, um, what was I going to say? Oh, I think it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you do that too. I would say, so oh. receiving forgiveness, it's an important step of AA. Oh, only- I, like the steps in AA, you, you talk about addiction. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, there's some things that are much more nefarious, alcohol, drugs, things like mm-hmm. that. But I think every one of us has some addictions. Absolutely. And sometimes those addictions can hurt other people, too. It might be materialism. It might be the need for power. It might be whatever happens that, Sugar, that you're obsessed with. iPhones, yeah. Which phones. can create pain in other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not disastrous pain, but still, it, it causes problems. And so some of those steps could be used by anybody. And I think they're just intuitive for human beings to forge better communications and relationships is to be able to forgive others and forgive yourselves and ask for forgiveness. Absolutely. Again, as you said, when it's appropriate and when it's safe, but it's okay to to give forgiveness to someone who's dead. Mm-hmm. I got this image all of a sudden as a, a cemetery being one huge confessional. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, where people can confess and, and ask for forgiveness, hopefully know that it's granted. Mm-hmm. And forgive someone who's dead as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Number three is receiving forgiveness. Mm-hmm. We can't even receive compliments in our society. You know, <laughs> that forgiveness has got to be something different because, number one, if you haven't passed number one yet for self-forgiveness, it's where would you put forgiveness from somebody else gives you i don't know right how, how could you process that if you can't forgive yourself well we're back to those two most awful level levels of consciousness shame and guilt and we don't know what to do with that but see i mean when i've been lost in shame and guilt which came hand in hand with alcoholism that's hell i mean to be in that place of shame and guilt is so painful and we all experience different levels of shame and guilt mm-hmm. but sometimes the freedom in that is only by receiving forgiveness and that's tricky you really have to own it. You need to find, if it's appropriate, find an appropriate way to approach someone and ask for their forgiveness. But there's ways to do it energetically as well. If you can't speak to someone, if they won't speak to you. or I like the Jewish practice, and I'm forgetting the name of it right now. Um, but I love the Jewish practice of where there's four steps and you really do that self-reflection, that honest mm-hmm. self-reflection, and you own it. You create change or make amends. So if you can make things, make it right, you do that. If you can do that in some way, um, or you, um, now I'm forgetting, or you create change in your life. So for, let's say a little kid is always punching his sister and he's apologizing every day. Eventually that apology is going to be meaningless. What he needs to do is stop punching his sister. Right. Um, and then the fourth step is to go to that person and to say, own your behavior without justifying it to say, you know, I am sorry, I did this thing and it hurt you and ask for and and express how you want to make it right or how you've changed your behavior. And you have to be sincere about that. And then you ask for their forgiveness. My favorite part about this, to be honest with you, is that if you do that three times with someone and they will not forgive you, and if you, again, you have to be sincere and genuine. And if you needed to create change, you need to create that change. But if you've done that and they won't forgive you three times, then the responsibility is on their shoulders. You are set free. And I think that's beautiful and very very fair. Because not to forgive you at that point with three attempts that are very honest and sincere Mm -hmm. is, is an aggression from the other person. It really is. What else can you say about receiving forgiveness? That... It's a gift for you to receive, but I think for the people who hesitate, back to the second type of forgiveness of forgiving other people, remember that you are giving such a gift when you can give someone forgiveness. And that might hold you back or it might motivate you to say, you know, I want to be able to grant forgiveness to someone, emotional forgiveness to someone. So as hard as it is, if someone's asking for forgiveness, maybe you say, you know what? Right now, today, I can't. I'm really having a hard time, even though you came here sincerely asking for it. But I'm willing to go back and see if I can, you know, do my work for it. Can you give me a few months or something? Let me work through this and then let's revisit it. So that when someone is receiving forgiveness to think about the person granting it and just hopefully have them open their hearts a bit too. What if you're forgiving somebody who doesn't think they did something wrong? Oh, that's so hard. And there's a, <laughs> there's a great quote, and I don't know who said it, but... Something about 
the power of forgiving someone who's never going to say they're sorry, who's never going to say, I hurt you. I apologize. And there are many people like that. But I've done that. I have someone in my life who has hurt me so much. And this person does not even know me. She thinks she knows me because she's talked to other people about me, but she doesn't know me. (laughs) She doesn't know my heart. I don't, you know, if I ever was to have her approach me and say, I I hurt you and I'm sorry, I'd definitely forgive her. In fact, I already have, but that would be a little icing on the cake. You can forgive somebody without actually saying that to them, Mm -hmm. whether they're dead or alive. Yep. And receiving forgiveness uh, is a little bit more of a challenge if someone doesn't feel like they've done something wrong. Or you don't deserve it. They don't want yeah. to forgive you. But in that case, still, it's for your benefit. Yeah. And you're it's get, offering to forgiveness. Right. Right. And really, the receiving forgiveness, you know, the other person hasn't necessarily done anything wrong. You have because you're wanting to receive it. Yeah. And then the last one, uh, you call it divine forgiveness. And this is very interesting because <laughs> it's not, not quite the same thing as going to a confessional. Right. Right. It's, so divine forgiveness really is more like acceptance. There's a quote, Oprah Winfrey says something of like, forgiveness is like releasing the idea that the past would be any different than it is, than it was. And that's more acceptance. And I like to think of that, of those things that really there's no one to blame. There's no, no one to point the finger to. As you know, we both have experienced the loss of a newborn Mm -hmm. and my Jonathan passed away the day after he was born. And for a while, I think I was searching for someone to blame. Was there something wrong with me? Did I do something wrong during the pregnancy? Is there something wrong with my body? Was it my husband's fault? I mean, like, was it something wrong with his body? Of course, he didn't purposefully do anything. You know, is it God's fault? And I I knew, you know, even as I was, because I was working through that pain, there wasn't anyone to blame. And in those situations, I call that divine forgiveness, where we can really work hard to just, not just, but to find acceptance in what happened, because there isn't anyone to blame. So is it forgiveness? Technically, maybe not. I include it because I think it's a really important conversation to have and an awareness to bring to people. Because sometimes when, you know, it's like when you know, you've got someone who you care about and they live such a healthy lifestyle and then they get cancer. And you're like, what the heck? Like, this is just wrong. Finding that acceptance to this, this is life. We think that somebody who gets cancer, you want to find out what, what, how do they get that? What did they do? Oh, gosh. As if they did something that could have been avoided mm-hmm. or, or a, a bad heart attack or anything that happens mm-hmm. physically or even emotionally. What did they do? I want to make sure I don't step there. You know, yeah. I, yeah. And that's associating uh, responsibility and guilt with an illness. Exactly. Making it so much worse. Which which uh, the kind of defines cruelty. Oh, gosh, absolutely. I, I've heard that. But where... it's, a human, it's a human instinct to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and there are, there are belief systems out there that say everything that we experience, we've created with our thoughts. And I see some value in that. Our thoughts are really important. They do help create our reality. But to say to someone, well, you got cancer because, you know, the way you're thinking about something is cruel and inaccurate. Do I, I do believe our emotional body, how we are moving through our life with the amount of stress or depression or anger does affect our physical health. You know, if you're angry all the time, I do believe that can contribute to heart issues or maybe stomach issue and things like that. But to say, well... You did something wrong to get cancer, even if you were thinking negatively, or maybe if you were more forgiving, you wouldn't have it. That's or you didn't just eat that cruel. type of food, or you ate right. this type of food right. instead. Or- and I've known people who smoked their entire lives heavily and never got lung cancer, and I know someone who never had a cigarette in their life, and they did get can- lung cancer. So there just is no simple rule for that. And the other one that you kind. may have experienced or at least felt around you, the idea of alcoholism as being just a weak character. Oh my gosh, absolutely. That it's just a, like it's a personal choice, like, well, you brought that on yourself. Mm-hmm. There so, are decisions that bring yeah. you, maybe that bring that on, but it doesn't mean that you created it. Mm-mm. No, absolutely not. I mean, I poured every alcoholic drink down my throat. No one forced me. I have to yeah. own my my struggle with alcoholism a hundred percent or I was never going to get sober, but I also need to own my sobriety. And there are many times that I wish other people would recognize that it is frustrating to be seen in the negative light of, Oh, you're an alcoholic. When I'm like, Oh, but I'm sober. And even if I wasn't sober, when I tell people my full story 
and, and make it clear. I didn't choose this. I didn't go out thinking, you know, I think I'll become an alcoholic and wreak havoc in my own life and the people I care about. Yeah. <laughs> it was unfortunately a coping mechanism I learned that I believe was working. It covered up my pain. It, you know, of course I can look back and think, oh my goodness, I wish I would have thought differently, but I wasn't thinking differently at the time. Because you made the best decisions you could I at the did. time with the knowledge and experience that you had, which mm -hmm. is a paraphrase of what you said before. And it's a perfect paraphrase. So you let it go. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. We need more kindness in the world, more compassion. You know, that really is the solution to everything. It is. It made me think of what I think is a huge problem in our country and in the world, but in America, how we deal with our prisons and our prisoners. There's such a lack of compassion. There's such a lack of teaching them the skills that we're talking about, you know, that teaching them how to forgive. I mean, the majority of the people in our prisons have really traumatic childhoods to teach them how to forgive the people who caused them pain, to teach them to forgive themselves, even for the reasons why they landed in prison, you know, to, to help them rehabilitate. Our recidivism rate is through the roof. I mean, it shouldn't mm -hmm. be, but we don't do enough. We aren't compassionate toward our prisoners, and we need to be. So it's really not a, a corrections system. No. It's more of a mm -mm. penal system. Yeah, yeah. It's a matter of vengeance. Mm -hmm. There's a great um, superintendent, or they used to be called wardens in Alaska, um, Bill Lepin Lepinskas, who's doing an amazing job with the men under his charge. He treats yeah, them with respect that. and kindness and compassion, and, and we need more bills in the world. We really, in our prison systems. And there are other people doing good as well, and there are wonderful programs that are being created, thank goodness. But we're hurting all of us by not running our prison systems differently and with more compassion and hope and, and dignity and respect. Moving on. What is the good things society? Cause who would not want to belong to the good things society? <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it because of course I created it. My little tagline with the good things society is where everything we do is about living a more optimistic and happy life and spreading that positivity to the world around us. And I want to add really quickly, because mm -hmm. I know you might not say this, this doesn't mean being oblivious or wearing rose-colored glasses. It doesn't mean just being naively happy. No. Not at all. No, it doesn't work. It's in spite of the things that are negative, recognizing the beauty. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's always there. We have just created a culture where we don't tend to see it. You know, right now we're sitting in the bus and it's kind of a rainy, glum day, but why is that not a beautiful day? You know, our world needs the duality of rain if, and if sunshine. If it doesn't rain, the flowers exactly. won't grow. Exactly. <laughs> so there's beauty and reasons to feel happy all around us, but I think we've lost track of those. And, and I do too at times that mm -hmm. I just kind of get caught up like I did, you know, somewhat recently with depression. So I wanted to create something that people could participate with me where we are intentionally and purposefully building more optimism in our life. And that's through so many means. That's through our perspective of life and the environment and even the issues in our world from climate crisis to opioid addiction to the prison systems, you know, and how we cope with emotions, how we spend our day. I know we're going to talk about mindfulness. Like how does a a practice that we do every day affect our optimism and our health of relationships. I mean, the, the topics are endless. And I wanted to provide a place where people can go and get a weekly dose of optimism, especially after our year plus of COVID and the rise of depression and suicide rates. So that's what I'm creating. It starts actually next month in September. Okay. I thought I missed a month. I, I just joined. I know. I was going to mention that to you and I forgot before the interview. So I, I thought will... it said August. <laughs> it did. And I was going to okay. mention something earlier. And because of what's going on with the bus, I'm just behind on everything. So, oh. but what I, what it is, is that every week, anyone who becomes a member of the Good Things Society will receive a guided meditation from me. And as you know, and you complimented me, so mm -hmm. thank you. I do write and create some really beautiful guided meditations. I mm -hmm. think I just was gifted with a voice apparently, and you might not hear it in this podcast, but when I do a guided meditation, I get lots of compliments that it's very soothing. And it is. The other thing is every other week. So bi-weekly you get on a call with me and I call them the optimism calls. And I've just, I'm creating a, a library of topics because you know, my first career is as a teacher. And so I'm just going to be teaching on topics that will help build optimism 
And then on the opposite weeks, those are book club weeks. So we'll be reading a book um, together. And this is real slowly. I'm not going to say read a book every month, but uh, the first one that we're going to read is by Byron Katie called Loving What Is. And, you know, we might read two chapters every two weeks, or chapter a week or so. It's I'm not going to add to people's plates because I know everyone's busy. But then we get on a call and I'll be teaching about that and we'll be discussing that. So it's a place to come to feel good and to learn how to feel good more often. And more importantly, to spread that to the world. Spread that to the world around you. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. I'm and, looking and there is a fee involved in this, but that's going to help fund your tour. Exactly. So the forgiveness tour, I want to make the forgiveness tour very accessible. So I'm not charging to speak because I want, I don't want there to be any hesitation with a facility. Uh, and it's also open to everybody. So if I'm speaking in a church, a Christian church, a synagogue, a mosque, you know, for example, a religiously affiliated location, it has to be open to everybody, not just their congregation or their gathering. Um, or if I'm in a community center or the YWCA or wherever I'm speaking. But I don't want anyone or any organization to have any reason to say no. So I'm going to be speaking for free, maybe passing a basket for love donations. Um, and then I'm running workshops, and those are for a nominal fee, probably 20 bucks. And the only reason I'm doing that is I want people to commit and not, you know, if I only have, if I'm doing it in person, some will be virtual. And if I only have 20 seats, I don't want someone to miss out because someone was a no-show. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be doing healing circles where I talk about compassion and individuals have a chance to share a story of pain if they choose to. And it's a beautiful experience. And those are also love donations. All that said, there's not a lot of opportunity for me to be making money in this three and a half to four years that I'll be on the road. But I obviously need that because the bus is diesel. So it's a, right. it's expensive to fill this bus up. I also need to pay to park You know, when I can be off grid because I do have the solar capacity. Um, and not have to plug in somewhere and pay 40 bucks for a night. I'll do that. But there's going to be often times where I need to pay to park somewhere for an evening. And that adds up fast. And just my general life. You know, I obviously at nearly 53 years old can't deplete my savings to do this. Because eventually I want to retire. Yeah. <laughs> so I am asking for that financial help. And I thought I wanted to create something that would help people and also contribute to the forgiveness tour. So it's $30 a month. And I'm actually going to be, I haven't really promoted it a lot, to be honest with you, Steve. So you are my second member. And so you'll be included in a promotion I'm going to be doing soon, just for listeners to know that I'm going to be giving the first X amount of people, maybe 100 people, a free gift just for joining. And it'll probably be a copy of my book and um, a secondary option. tangible item. I'm kind of kicking around a few different ideas. So you will be a recipient of that thank you gift. So if someone does want to become a member, yeah, they can go to my website and look for the Good Things Society and become a member for a buck a day and receive And your website is very robust. You have a number of things in there. You explain it to her. You talk about your background. You Mm -hmm. talk about just a number of things. I mean, it's uh, it's rather, rather comprehensive. And you've done a number of YouTube videos, too, which we're going to talk about uh, when we get to talk about meditation. Yeah. That takes people through different steps. Right. And a great place to follow me is Instagram and then Facebook. I have a page on both of those that's just The Forgiveness Tour. So if they want to keep up, and I'll be doing some interviews and a lot more content coming up. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap this up uh, at this point. I want to thank you very much for um, for sitting down with me today and going over this. I think there's a, a lot to be said about your forgiveness tour. I, I would love to be in your audience uh, when, as you travel. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that, too. And, <laughs> I know it's kind of scary for you. It's it's the unknown. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some fear. And even traveling the whole country, it's just me and my dog. You know, yeah. so just that aspect as well, you know, a little. But think of all the growth and the stuff you're going to learn. Oh, my gosh. Too. Well, and all the beauty I'm going to see. Like, you know, yeah. I definitely have a quite a long list of national parks that I want to stop at and take a few days to hike. and But also all the amazing people I'm going to meet. I mean, I love meeting people. I'm one of those people. I'm an introvert, so I definitely need alone time. And I thrive with that. It's necessary. But I also am one of those people who could, I could sit down and talk to the Queen of England or um, a homeless person who is, you know, living under a viaduct or whatever. Like, I think everybody has value. I don't see a hierarchy in people. I just enjoy talking to them. 
It shows. Thank you. Well, I just want to say thank you for having me on here. It truly is an honor. It means a lot to me, Steve. So well, thank you thank very you much. And thank and you for your as friendship. Shannon travels, we're going to be checking in and uh, having a little information about her progress and also talking about mindfulness over the next several weeks. Yeah. Thank you. I look forward to it. And I don't know if we mentioned my website. No, we didn't. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I just yeah. want to make sure if people want to go we check are, it we'll out. We'll post information about you and some videos also along with this. Okay. But let's mention it now. Yep. It's just my name, shannonelhart.com. So that's S-H-A-N-N-O-N-E-L-H-A-R-T.com. That's not hard to remember. No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you very much. This is Carrie, and I am the host of the Chat Cafe portion of our podcast, and I'm here with Steve. Hello there. And we're just going to recap some of the wonderful information from Shannon Elhart and her forgiveness tour. I was fascinated by the concept of emotional pain. I had never really thought about that before, but she gives some great concrete examples of emotional pain in her own life. As she describes emotional pain... Either we continue to have suffering or we turn our suffering into growth. I thought that was a profoundly positive way to deal with it. Right. I just really adore how Shannon presents her ideas and some of the things that she talks about. I mean, you have a web of experiences in your life. That is so true. Half the time you don't even know that so many things are interconnected until you're in the midst of it. Also, she was talking about how you don't have to be good to do it. You don't have to be good at this. You don't have to bear everything in order to go through this process. Every path to emotional healing will look different from one person to the next. It's really all about discovery, and sometimes that takes a while. It took Shannon years to get to the point where she is now. But as she says, it's certainly a journey worth making. Because in the process, you turn emotional pain and suffering into growth. Shannon speaks about four different types of forgiveness. And the first one is forgiving yourself, which we all pretty much suck at, but it's an important thing to be able to do that. Otherwise, yeah. you know, a lot of discomfort in your life. Forgiving other people, even some people who have done unforgivable things. Uh, as she says, you do this for you, you don't do it for them. Right. If you can forgive somebody, it doesn't mean you trust them, that you like them, or that you care to have them in your life, but you forgive them, you release yourself. And one of the examples that Shannon put out there for herself is she was raped at the age of 18 and she forgave the person because she had to get past that pain and turn that pain from suffering into growth. And that wasn't something that she did immediately. It was it was something like 20 years later. It took at least 20 years. So. But, but she did it. Yeah. And then that was the growth that she then was able to receive from that pain. That's um, cool. very important. And I really thought that the Jewish tradition of forgiveness, and I'm just going to spell it because I do not know how to pronounce this. It's T-E-S-H-U-V-A-H. And I thought that that was a fabulous eye-opener in regards to forgiveness because I think oftentimes we might feel like, I can't ask this person for forgiveness because that was a really rotten thing that I did, but I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to change on it. So you present all of this to the person that you offended and you tell them, I did the, I wronged you. I did this thing. I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to change my way. I'm going to, I'm going to be better. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. And if they deny it to you, you can go back three times and then you're done. They, that's up to them, but you're done. I thought <gasps> you made your best effort. That is, that was so freeing to hear that for me. I, mm -hmm. I just really very interesting. And then divine forgiveness, which has nothing to do with a confessional on a priest. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, it's nope, based, nope. you know, we all have a situation where something happened in life and we can't understand why it happened. And there's no one to blame about it. And the divine forgiveness is almost like forgiving the universe for the circumstances that caused something to happen because nobody caused it to happen. Acceptance. Acceptance. It's acceptance of what was. And not right. having to know why, not having anybody to blame, but sometimes things just happen the way they happen. Indeed. So I'm very excited to keep in contact with 
Shannon as she goes on her forgiveness tour and checks in with us occasionally so you can see how she's doing. And I'm really happy to announce that we have a special feature starting in October that involves Shannon. We'll have mindful moments, typically released on Saturdays. It'll be a brief conversation about different techniques that are used in mindful meditation to help people improve their lives, lower stress, and hopefully also improve their health and well-being. And there's another great way to assist Shannon in this endeavor of hers and get some excellent information for yourself as well. It's called the Good Things Society. On her website, Shannon describes the Good Things Society as follows, where everything we do is about living a more optimistic, happy life and spreading that positivity to the world around us. The Good Things Society includes optimist calls and a book club. These will alternate week to week. If you'd like more information about the Good Things Society, you can find the link in our show notes. Perfect. Thank you so much for listening to us. Yes, thanks for listening. Until next time, be well and be kind. Thank you for tuning in to Navigating Life as We Know It. Your hosts have been Steve and Carrie Johnson. Alexander Stark, a.k.a. me, is your producer and editor. Holly Johnson maintains our website and helps write our blog articles, and Daniela Munoz helps with research, outreach, and social media. We couldn't do what we do without every person here, including you, our listeners, who give us the most important thing of all, purpose. Until next time, Enlocky is a production of Envision Media Group, LLC.